You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. All right, New City, 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's crack open the book today. Um, if you're new to the Bible, you're going you're gonna to be close. You'll see 2 Peter. You're real close. It's right before that one, okay? The book of James, very close there. It's in the New Testament. Really, really grateful to worship with you, uh, you guys today. Man, I came to the text this week, and I was like, man, it's Mother's Day, and we get to talk about politics and slavery. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Congrats. Welcome to church. Excellent. See, these are the things that happen when you start preaching through books of the Bible, um, is that it forces you to wrestle with things that you wouldn't normally just pick to wrestle with. Um, Because today we're going to enter into what is really a pretty controversial um, topic in our culture. Um, So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25 are where we're going to spend our time today. Once you've found it, can I ask you to stand today in reverence of the reading of God's Word? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." This is God's word. You can have a seat today. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot to unpack here, but here's the prevailing idea from this passage. We're talking about submission today. We're talking about submission. Is there a more unpopular concept in our culture than the idea of submission? 
If there is, I would honestly have a hard time articulating to you exactly what it is. Because here's the vision that culture gives us of submission. Submission assumes that it's, it's for the weak, right? The, the weak people are the ones who have to submit, and the power is for the strong. It kind of divides us into camps there. It assumes that, a, that lack of power equals a, a longing for strength, right? It's, like I, it's something that I don't have. It's out of reach for me. Can I, can I ask this question? What if what the text is actually telling us this morning is that we have it backwards, that submission is not for the weak, but rather for the strong. The strongest man who ever lived, I don't want you to miss this this morning, humbly submitted himself to death, and not only death, but shameful death. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 tell us about Jesus, that though he was, in, though he was equal with the Father, right, though he was God, he did not consider his godness the thing to be grasped onto, but he lowered himself, he humbled himself to redeem those broken under the law. You see, Jesus willingly submitted his complete power I don't want you to miss that. Jesus is God, right? There is not a molecule in the universe that he does not have thorough and complete control over. That one, that one with complete and perfect power willingly said, I'm going to submit myself to the hands that I created. I'm going to let hands of Roman soldiers drive nails into my body when at a moment's notice, I could undo this having ever had happen. But he didn't. He submitted himself and friends following in his trail, walking in the wake of the Lord Jesus. We must understand this morning that biblical submission Biblical submission, not culture's vision, but biblical submission is a weapon that God uses to draw power and people into the kingdom of God. God takes our simple acts of submission and brings institutions and individuals to an awareness that Jesus is Lord. That's what it means to be in exile, y'all. This whole series is about living in exiles. We are a counterculture. And through submission, we can make people aware of Jesus's bigness. You see, Peter, right here in our text, is commanding these followers of Jesus to submit themselves to untrustworthy individuals and institutions. Did you catch that? He's talking about the emperor of ancient Rome, and he's talking about wicked masters. We're going to unpack that, what he's talking about there. But he tells them to submit to these untrustworthy individuals and institutions as a means of silencing arguments against Christianity. If you're going to be the kind of person who takes Jesus up on that, who says, I'm going to be a person of submission in this world that does not love submission. I need to warn you, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. In your head right now, you might even be feeling or thinking in this tension, like, man, Jesus would not call us to endanger ourselves. Or maybe even worse, he wouldn't call us to embarrass ourselves. 
Submission is to risk being taken advantage of. It's a real risk. It's a risk of being used, of being betrayed, of being let down. To say yes to submission is to follow Jesus into very real suffering that could come as a result. If you say yes to this and following Jesus, you may very well be saying yes to suffering. But Peter is going to help us walk through that door this morning. He's going to help us. If you're a note taker, here's what we're unpacking. The big idea, we're talking about submission in exile. Remember, three points I want us to unpack. Number one, submit to institutions. Uh-oh, what could go wrong in any of these points, right? Um, number two, submit to masters. Submit to masters. And number three, submit because of Jesus. That's where we're going. Number one, submit to institutions. Submit to institutions. Where are my rule followers at? Can you raise your hand? I knew you were a rule follower because when I told you to raise your hand, it shot up, okay? It's no, there's no shame. There's no shame in being a rule follower. That's okay. Now, I admire your gift, okay, that you can hear a rule and go, all right, I'm in. But for me, I'm kind of the annoying why guy, okay? So here, here's what that means. When somebody says, hey, do this, my first question is not, and my first thing is not, yes, sir. My first thing is usually what? Why? What does that rule mean? Why is this rule here? Could I do this instead? Like, can I change the rule a little bit so that I feel a little bit more powerful in this dynamic, right? We have, a, we have an odd relationship with rules. All of us have some relationship with rules, right? But we have an odd relationship with rules. Here's the thing Peter's going to take us toward. And man, this has been weighing on me this week as I've, been, as I've been thinking and praying through this. We are not called to submit to the authority we understand or the authority that we agree with, but the authority that God has appointed. The authority that God has put. Look back at verse 13. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake. To every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Let's stop there for just a moment. That little phrase, be subject, in the Greek, that is hypotazo, which uh, if, if you know what that means, congratulations, but I'm going to unpack it for you a little bit here. It means to arrange yourself under another individual or institution. To say, okay, this is the primary framework, and I'm going to submit myself to living within that framework. Actually, John Piper, I think, helps us right here in giving us a little definition of what it means to submit or what submission is. It is the disposition to follow an authority figure and an inclination to yield to its leadership. Okay, a disp I want you to see two words, disposition and inclination, right? Submission is really a posture of the heart. It's saying under usual circumstances, and y'all are, I know some things that are forming in your minds right now, okay? Under normal circumstances, the posture is to be one of inclination to say yes to the authority around us. Submission is not that you always obey, it's that under normal circumstances, you gladly follow the lead of an authority in your life. 
And in verse 13 and 14, Peter calls us to submit to a very specific authority figure. Look back, it says, For the Lord's sake, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to the governors who the emperor has sent out to punish the wicked and to promote the good. We are going to learn two critical things right here about submitting to the government. Okay? Submitting to the government. Number, number one, first, Peter just told us that for the Lord's sake, we are called to submit to every human institution. Uh-oh. This makes us squirm a little bit, right? Every human institution, even the wicked ones, Peter? Yes. Even the ones that are running our country into the ground? Yes, those two. Even the ones with non-Christian policies? I don't want you to miss this this morning. Do you know who the Roman emperor is while Peter is writing these words? A guy named Nero. And if you remember anything from your world history book, you know this is the same guy who, a few years after Peter's writing this, would go on to use Christians as human streetlights by lighting them on fire. This is the same guy who would go on to feed Christians to lions. In fact, historians tell us that Nero was the one who put Peter, the very author of our text today, to death. That is the guy, the emperor, that Peter is telling us to submit ourselves to in verse 13. What does all this mean? It means that the normal relationship between Christians and the government is that we willingly submit. But the verse also tells us why. For any of you why guys out there, here it is. For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Verse 15 makes it even clearer. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Remember, exile for these Christians or living as an outsider was no accident. This exile was a SEAL Team 6 operation. This exile was God intentionally sending his people into the world to redeem those who were broken by the world. And Peter is reminding them right here. He's saying, guys, if, if you are the best citizens in the nation, guess what? They may hate what you believe, but there is no denying that when Jesus comes to town, things get better. You know what Christians should be the best at in the whole world? Living under a broken authority and flourishing. We've been doing it since day one, y'all. Living on the cultural margins. And Peter is saying here, that, man, these folks who are ignorant of who Jesus is, he's not insulting them right here. He's just saying they don't know who Jesus is. He won't be ignorable to them if you willingly submit yourself to the government. The Roman government thought that Christians were revolutionaries. Here's what's going on in the background right here. They thought that Christians, because they followed another king, that they were going to try to overthrow Rome and install a new government. And Peter is telling them that the best way to win these, these suspicious Romans is to be a great citizen. The strongest defense against the claim that Christians are, aren't up to any good, that they're really about themselves, that they're, um, in, in our day even, that Christians are maybe trying to marry themselves to a political ideology, something like that. 
He said the best argument against that is submission to authority. That's why it should be the normative pattern for us, church family. This leads us to ask some important questions. Number one, are you submitting yourself to every human institution? And not the ones that you deem worthy of your submission. This is key. But the ones that God calls you to submit to. Nick, they're unjust. Friend, if I can tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you about what the Bible is saying here. If you think that the unjust nature of the government is what gives you license to disobey, you're violating a command of Scripture. Now listen, there's space to disobey the government, and we're going to get there at the end of, of this section. But it is not the worthiness of the guidelines of the government that you are meant to look at. It is the worthiness of God who calls you to submission that you are meant to look at. Like, I'm not just asking you, are you blindly submitting? No, no, no. Are you submitting for the Lord's sake? Are you submitting as an exile, as someone who is under God's authority? Who was treated more unjustly than our king? Man, Jesus was a, a product of an institution that destroyed him, right? On the cross. But guess what? Satisfying the justice of God required Jesus to submit himself to the injustice of humanity. Are you willing to follow in your Lord's footsteps this morning? Are you willing? Are you actively seeking to be a good citizen? Like in, in light of the broken institution that we find ourselves serving in, is Champaign-Urbana more like the kingdom of heaven because you are here? Do you know that God sent you here on purpose? To make a difference. This is why we invest in serving our city the way that we do, because we want people to see our good works and give glory to God. New City, how can you thrive in a broken institution? Serve the homeless, meet needs, use your skills to bless the same people who are frustrated and angered by your message. Why? Because this is exactly how you've been loved. Jesus opened his heart most widely to those who were the cruelest to him. Jesus loved murderers with the same heart that they were destroying. This should compel us to get down low and serve our city. But look back at verse 14, though. We're going to see a second important thing. So first we saw the normal disposition... Is, is submission, but here's the second thing we're going to see um, in verse 14. It says, Or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. The government, this verse is telling us, has a very specific role given to it by God. Okay? It has a role given to uh, it by God. Under God's authority, there's something that they're supposed to do. Did you catch it? It says to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, the idea of the government punishing those who do evil, it probably makes some sense to us. Like if, if someone commits a murder, right, they should go to prison. They should be appropriately punished for that act. Do broken governments do that perfectly? No. 
goodness know. Those who are guilty walk away without blame, and, and those who are innocent end up in prison. It's part of the brokenness of the system, right? But Peter is saying that a broken government that imperfectly punishes evil is better than complete anarchy. That the government should in some way restrain evil in the land, right? You, when you drove here this morning, you saw a speed limit sign, right? It said 55, right? And there's, there's an understanding between the government and the people in this usually. It's why you don't get pulled over when you go one mile an hour over the speed limit, right? The speed limit is meant to restrain so if it's 55, most of the time, people aren't going to go 80. But if you go 80, that's when you get pulled over, right? So it's meant to restrain. It's meant to hold back to, to keep more people from dying. But governments are also called to praise those who do good. This one doesn't make as much sense to us in America, but for the Romans, if they saw a good citizen, you know what they do? They'd put up a statue of the person. They'd say, that sounds kind of great, right? Wouldn't you love a statue of you out on the corner? Here, that'd be great. But they would, get, they would give money or privileges to these people who um, were living as model citizens. They did this to promote the public good, to give people examples of what it meant to be a great citizen. See, the government isn't just, it doesn't just exist under God's authority to restrain evil, but also to promote goodness, that's what the government is supposed to do. This, friends, this, this calling is what we're supposed to submit ourselves to. The government in their responsibility to restrain evil and promote good. But we don't do it in fear. We don't do it in cowardice. And we don't do it by being a doormat. We do it in freedom. Look at verse 16. It says, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but as living servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. See, when we think of freedom, we tend to think of a life of, with no rules, right? Like I can, do what, I can do what I want. That's what freedom is about. Peter is giving us a different vision here. He is telling us that true freedom, freedom in Jesus, is not a life with no rules, but a life of submission to the right rules. That's true freedom. He's saying your freedom wasn't given to you to carve out your own little niche of doing what you want. Your freedom was actually given to you to advance the purposes of God. You are now free to fear God and honor the emperor. You are free to embrace God's bounds for your life without, without fear because you will, in Jesus, be vindicated in the end. Submission is the normal posture, but I need you to hear this. It is not blindly honoring the emperor. There is a reason that Peter sticks, fear God and honor the emperor next to one another right here, y'all. Because your honoring of the emperor is always in submission to the fear of God. And so I need you to hear this. This is very important. If the government is calling you to do something that violates your responsibility to honor God, it is now your responsibility to disobey that government. 
If the government, I need you to hear that. If the government is asking you to violate the commands of God, it is our responsibility to say no. This is the cost of submission, right? It's like we either fall in line with a government we don't agree with, or we have to resist a government and fall under cultural pressures. It's a hard spot to live. The calling of an exile is a hard calling. I need to ask you this morning, what are you doing with your freedom? Are you submitting yourself to the right rules? Are you just trying to get free of the rules? Man, in, in our age, submission to institutions might be one of the most powerful witnesses to the gospel. It's unpopular. But what if we took God up on it? What if we did? What if we, and here's what this looks like practically, I want to ask, what would it look like if we were the last to complain about the government's ridiculous policies and we were the first to point out the goodness that's happening? I want you to hear me. I'm not talking about glossing over injustice. That's not what I'm talking about here. But the main posture of our hearts what if instead of wasting our words about our leaders, instead we started praying for our leaders? Like, goodness, if you want things to change and how the government is operating, what if the first line of defense that God has primarily given you is to pray for God to change the heart of that leader to line up with Jesus? What if revival begins through you praying for Joe Biden? Or praying for Mitch McConnell? or praying for Governor Pritzker, or praying for our own Mayor Finan. All of these leaders have a responsibility to do what God has called them to do, and as we know, every one of them has been doing it imperfectly. Church, we can make a difference in praying for these people. Number one, submit to masters. These last two points will be quicker. Submit to masters. Look what verse 18 says. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Inevitably, what comes into our minds and what should rightly come into our minds right here is our nation's horrendous and sinful past with slavery, right? It's coming into our minds. And here's what you need to know. What is being talked about right here is not antebellum slavery, okay? That is not what the Bible is talking about. The Bible is not condoning antebellum slavery. Um, this, is, um, this is a household bond servant, okay? So a household bond servant um, is uh, someone who would maybe uh, sell themselves to another person in this cultural conduct to pay off a debt or earn a certain sum of money. So like, hey, I owe Cole $1,500. I'm going to work for him for the next three weeks to pay off that certain um, debt that I have to him. This was not racially based. This was not for life. 
This was a person who became a servant or a slave by choice. That is what's being talked about right here. Um, antebellum slavery, what our country went through, that was people stealing, okay? Taking someone against their will, taking them to another country and selling them, treating them as a commodity or property, which the Bible actually outright condemns. Paul, at one point, he's talking about specific sins of the church, and one of the sins that he lists are enslavers. People who would steal or impose their will on another person. That is not what's being talked about right here. Do I have any medical students in the room? Any medical students? Okay, yeah, I got one. Sorry, Katie, I didn't mean to single you out during this uh, sermon. So essentially, in, in some hospitals or institutions, they will say, hey, if you work for us for X amount of years, we will pay for your schooling. Or if you're an undergraduate student, right, in the room, um, I... If you do this many assignments, your professor says, at this level, you'll get an A, right? You're going to earn something particular. If you're a professional, you have said, I will work this many hours for a paycheck. This is more what we're talking about in embracing a master, okay? Paul tells us bond servants, he tells these bond servants to be willingly at the whims of their master. That's the person that they've, they've uh, gone into servitude under whether they are good or bad. He calls the suffering, this is wild, a gracious thing. Like, y'all, if you're not confused by the Bible sometime, you're probably not reading it very carefully. That is a confusing thing. Why in the world is it a gracious thing in the sight of God if you suffer under a bad master? That doesn't sound gracious. Here's what he means. When you show honor and kindness to the people who wound you, you are displaying the grace of God. Amen. You're displaying the grace of God. And it says, don't gloss over this. Anytime in scripture, it refers to the eyes of God or the eyes of Jesus. I'm always wanting to highlight or circle because it's telling us something that he cares about. It tells us that we suffer in his sight. You need to hear this. As you submit yourself to a master, God does not overlook you. You are seen by God. You are in partnership with him to make his grace visible in the world. Here's the question. All of us have masters. We have submitted ourselves to employers, to people, to institutions like the U of I, who is your master, your boss, your professor, your attending physician? All of us are called to be servants. Are we good servants or bad servants? When your boss slights you and wrongs you, do you gossip about him behind his back or do you love and pray for him all the more? When your professor refuses to show any grace to your situation, do you murder her in your mind or do you show all the more attentiveness, all the more kindness, all the more sincerity? When you feel absolutely overlooked by the masters in your life, the sovereign God of the universe sees you. He sees you. He isn't turning a blind eye to your suffering. 
Some of us need that this morning. He is using your suffering to make grace obvious to those around you. And hear me, to you. Grace is a fun subject to talk about. Man, we're grace people. Capital G, grace people. Grace is really fun to talk about until you're being asked to extend grace to a person who doesn't deserve it at all. Then it's really costly. Grace always costs something, friend. Someone has to die a death for grace to enter into the world. And Jesus is looking at us this morning and he's saying, hey, 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 listen, as a Christian, don't ask them to die the death. You die the death. You die it. Why? Because we're resurrection people. There is a hope past this moment for you. If you are struggling under a wicked master in your life, an employer, a professor, you need to know there is hope past this moment for you. Hang in, keep submitting, and the grace of God might just become real to them too. Goodness, and won't that be a story? Because in a moment of cancel culture, here's what the world doesn't have a category for the story to tell. We hated each other. I was actually really wicked to this person. And now we actually love one another. That's the story the church of Jesus gets to tell. And here's the last piece. How in the world can we do this? Number three, this is the important one. Submit because of Jesus. Verse 21 says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, the question for us is, is deeper than how do I suffer well in submission when there's injustice being committed against me? question's deeper than that. The question is, how can I suffer if I don't deserve it? How can I do this? New City, your Lord is not unfamiliar with this. He was thoroughly right always, and yet he was thoroughly reviled. He may have put himself in the hands of sinners on the cross, but the Father's hands were holding them both. Jesus gave himself over to the plan of the Father. Your sin was not Jesus' fault. It wasn't his problem, but you need to hear this morning, he made it his responsibility. Why would he suffer? To rescue strayed sheep. You and me, Jesus was willing to suffer to rescue strayed sheep. How can you suffer? You need to hear this this morning. The shepherd of your soul is with you. You are not alone in your suffering. If you have him, you have all you need. Friend, I'm begging you this morning, do not hit the eject button 
Entrust yourself to the trustworthy shepherd. Submit because of Jesus. This is countercultural. It's, it's costly. You are going to be obviously different from the world if you do this. But Jesus, who is calling us into exile, was the better exile. He lived counterculturally. It cost him everything. He was clearly not from around here in the way that he operated. Band, y'all can come on up. He, he took on spiritual exile on the cross so that you could have all the privileges of being a citizen of heaven. If you haven't yet, today is a great day to submit to Jesus. Hear me. He is a kind master. He is a kind master. You are going to be mastered by something. Why not submit yourself to the only one in the universe who will not trade you in on a newer model? He will love you forever, specifically. He will perfectly punish evil in the end. That is his promise. And his goodness will transform the broken world. Why not trust him with your life now? Submission is hard. Submission is hard, but Jesus is with us. Let's pray. Well, Father, um, man, I'm just aware of how a teaching like this could hit all the different people in the room. And I pray that the, the wrestling, the difficulty, the challenging right now, that Jesus, you will make yourself so obviously sweet to every person in this room that you would be non-ignorable. You don't call us into submission because you hate us. You call us into submission because you love us. Do a work in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. And you need to know this. There is no conversation that is off limits around here. If you're hearing this teaching from scripture and you're going, this is hard for me, or you're going, I, I, what do I even do? I feel like I can't embrace this. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to walk with you moment by moment through that. And so this is a great time for you to ask the Lord, how is he calling you to respond? Is he calling you to confess that you've been unwilling in submission in your life? Is he calling you to a new place of trust or obedience? The second thing that we do is we remember the Lord's death until he comes. There are two stations for the Lord's Supper in the front of the room and two in the back. And this is where if you are a follower of Jesus, we remember that Jesus walked into submission for you, for you to redeem you. So we remember his death and proclaim that he is coming again. And then number three, we rehearse. When we sing, we are rehearsing for the future. This is a dress rehearsal for heaven, y'all. That's what we're doing right now. A dress rehearsal for heaven. And so, New City, I'd invite you this morning to respond when you're ready. I love you.